Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This one, your co-host Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelicone. You are listening to episode 193 of the podcast, and you can join us this month for Hodgepodge Halloween. I, oh, yeah, I'm giving. Did you come up with that? Frank. I did. Oh, I didn't um, know. And uh, what this is is I tasked Frank with uh, just coming up with horror movies that he wanted to talk about. So over the course of the next four weeks. Uh, we'll be discussing uh, two different movies each week uh, of horror movies that Frank just uh, feels the the urge to to have to say things about. So um, we're going to start off this week, uh, 193, with uh, two films, uh, Kill Baby Kill from 1966 and um, Return of the Living Dead from 1985. Um, any reason you wanted to pair these two together, Frank? I don't know. Do you think there's a reason? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> um, I mean, originally, I was just thinking of, like you said in the the intro, um, movies that I didn't know where we would ever fit them on a list, but I like them and I want to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I made the list, I actually had to take. I took a movie off, or no, I added a movie and then rearranged some things in order to make it work. But I realized that like there was some natural pairings mm-hmm. so i think the interesting thing between these two movies and so i know this is hodgepodge halloween um which is a new concept even for <laughs> even you <know>. for you <laughs> right it's a surprise huh? um my thought wasn't necessarily the way that we usually will do um discuss the plot of the movie and then mm-hmm. whatever the breakdown like i kind of want to talk about how i think these movies relate to each other and their importance in terms of like overall horror because i think that all eight movies we're going to talk about this month um one of them doesn't one of them is just one i wanted to talk about but it actually kind of pairs well with another movie so um the thought of like the undead in horror movies um Mm -hmm. outside of like vampires and stuff you know is the smattering of movies in like the 50s and 60s um, and then much more prevalent and then into the eighties and on where there's been like a glut of zombie movies, um, continuously pretty much. So I like the idea of looking at a movie that was hugely influential on the ghost genre, kind of like Baba's, um, kill baby kill, which inspired a lot of movies, both, um, just in terms of like overall, like idea, but also visually, and then Return of the Living Dead, which to me, um, I would argue even more so than Night of the Living Dead, is the movie that really is like the genesis for the zombie, the whole genre of zombie films like today. Mm. I think that much more comes from the Return of the Living Dead series than it does from any of the Night of the Living Dead stuff. Um, and I think that, you know, both since they deal with like the undead or, you know, beings that are whatever outside life or whatever you want to call it um in interesting ways um i think it makes it like 
you know, good like counterpoint to each other, especially because they're such wildly different movies in so many ways. Um, had you seen Kill Baby Kill before this? This is the first time, right? It's the first time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was introduced to this movie eh, early two thousands, I guess. There was a, a Mario Baba box set that um, who put that out? Anchor Bay maybe put it out. I think mm-hmm. Anchor Bay or um, Rhino Films. Um, and I, this is one of the movies of his I hadn't seen. So Baba was one of those guys where there wasn't like a huge amount that was immediately available, like through, um, my childhood, like a lot of that stuff I didn't discover until I was older. Um, but I had seen Danger Diabolique, which I really enjoyed. And I had seen, um, uh, a couple of his other movies. Um, but I was really blown away by Kill Baby, Kill Baby Kill. And like immediately you can see a lot of influence in other genres to the point where I don't know if this is like apocryphal or not, but supposedly, well, I mean, it's, it's true in the sense that, um, Federico Fellini in his short in the, um, Spirits of the Dead, which we talked about in our anthologies, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, directly copies off of the, um, the main, like ghost villain character in kill baby kill mm-hmm. um in his um what is that harvey dammit or something like that yes I think. yep uh, toby 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 dammit toby dammit yep um in terms of like the girl with um like the almost like angelic but still like haunting and um menacing like spirit of this like young child um both visually in my opinion and just like ideologically like federico fellini just like stole that mm-hmm. um which is a, apparently something that he was known to do which is like <laughs> liberally like crib from other people right um i mean even the way that um toby Badamit ends up looking um by the end of that like bear some similarities i would say to yeah that's like to me that's the italian um I don't even know what you would call it. Like almost um impressionistic filmmaking that they do. So mm-hmm. he, like Baba was Baba started in black and white and was very good with like shadows and depth of field. And like you can see that in this movie. So this is 66, right? Kill Baby yes. Kill. Mm-hmm. You can see like the depth of color, but also the depth of shadow in the color. Like there's so many scenes that are um like beautifully like lit and still like super claustrophobic in the sense where i don't know anything about i i know that they filmed like on a location in italy where like these were actual buildings this isn't like a sound stage or anything mm-hmm. and it feels like old and decrepit and there's a sense of menace almost almost like kind of like labyrinth and or whatever to this town that the the movie takes place in and a lot of the lighting that he used not only influenced um you know like like Fellini I think like loved Baba and loved like his use of lighting and color but also Argento was a huge um disciple of of Mario Baba so you can see things in Suspiria and Inferno and Phenomena and the way that Argento lights things and the way that he films especially like light through window and light through stained glass which happens a lot in this movie 
mm-hmm. um that that that's argento like a hundred percent being influenced by baba mm-hmm. um and then there's the asian cinema which we talked a lot about um in terms of things like uh sadako and um un- the a movie we're going to talk about um in a the, i think the next episode yeah um junji ito was also influenced by like the you know you've got the straight long hair the kind of like um the beautiful menace of like this creature that sort of like exists outside of reality um that juxtaposition of like you know like childlike innocence with this like abject you know terror of this like creature that can kill you or whatever um so yeah so i I like the fact that like you can watch Kill Baby Kill and it's it's a really entertaining movie. Um it's kind of like just a hodgepodge of these, you know, they didn't really have like a, a big budget for it. There was a lot of constraints to the production and Baba's so talented that he still pulls this, you know, really important and interesting film like together. I mean, I don't know if you read about it, but the score um we were talking about like the score because there's this movie and another movie. That we'll talk about later that I think have just amazing like scores. Um yeah. both in terms of like the music and their ambient sound. Like I think there's great use of sound in Kill Baby Kill. Um it's just it's just cobbled together from like um public domain songs. Right. Like right. there's I saw that. Um, which I think is amazing, but it like works so well. Um Yeah. A lot of the ro- works by uh uh, Carlo Rusticelli um, are in it, but uh, there's a lot of other music just taken from other movies and public domain stuff. Yeah. Um. So this also falls into one of my um kind of like personal favorite genres from the time, which is the um like 1500s, you know, um remote village horror movies um we've talked about like blood on satan's claw before um several other like hammer movies all take Mm -hmm. place in similar settings um vampire lovers and whatever sure um and again like 1966 like this is years before a lot of those things and this is baba kind of setting setting the stage so and at some point i'd like to do like a baba retrospective Mm -hmm. um he was hugely influential in you know, giallo um, action in a lot of ways, like Italian crime has a lot, owes a lot to Bava. Um, and then just outright horror, like this movie and um, Baron Blood. And there's a couple others that he did that are just, you know, like direct like horror movies. And I don't know. I think that he's um, a really talented guy. I don't know if he's underappreciated, but maybe not discussed as much anymore as um being like really influential and maybe he's not that influential anymore i don't know maybe it's more well anytime you i mean i've watched a couple of documentaries on italian horror and it feels like um it feels like he is to those people um i don't know yeah. if people still think about him today like modern directors but it feels like in italy um he's his name still rings out i suppose well <clears> sure <throat> i mean he was Pulci, Argento, um, like Ruggiero Diodato, Umberto mm-hmm. Lenzi. His own son, right? Yeah, um, Lamberto Baba, mm-hmm. who made a bunch of... Um, he's one of the, the Night of the Demons directors, like one of those yes. mm-hmm. Demons movies he directed. So, yep. 
wide um, swath of influence from him. Um, so the other movie that we're talking about on this one is The Return of the Living Dead, um, which Kill Baby Kill is a very, um, I don't want to say morose, but there's a weight to it. You know, it's very, um, it's very classically filmed, I guess, like, like gothic horror movie. And um, Return of the Living Dead is like the complete opposite. It's um, a frantic, semi-comedic, you know, look at like what would be the reason for zombies to come back or like the dead to return to the living. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the first movies that I would say scarred me as a kid in some ways. Interesting, okay. Um, that was almost too much for me to take in terms of, um, the intensity of the movie and just like the visuals. Um, when, how, how old were you when you watched this? Do you you remember the first time you saw Return? I don't know. I would have been somewhere between 10 and 12, probably, I would say. So it came out in 85, so I was 8 when it came out. Yeah, I was probably 10 years old when I saw it on video for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was scared, like, of the VHS cover. And it's not even, like, a scary cover. Like, it's a, a funny, almost, like, comedic, like, um, the VHS cover for it. Right. Um, but there was something about, like, just the the corpses on the front of that, like these cartoon corpses that just, I don't know, really disturbed me. And, Hmm. um, the tar man zombie, um, is really like one of the most unsettling, like images from my childhood, just the way that the thing moved and like the black, like ooze of like his melting flesh, like running off. him, just awful for me. Mm Um, so this is, um, Dan O'Bannon, um pretty pretty influential guy too um worked on star wars did a lot of like sci-fi stuff total recall right. and wrote wrote alien yeah um dead and buried he wrote yeah dead and buried one another movie that we've talked about um i think that i think that there's a lot of credit that's given like rightly so to Romero for being like the father of the zombie movie. But I mean, O'Bannon is the one that kind of popularizes this idea of like zombies eat brains, you know, and that's like Mm -hmm. what they're going after is your brains. And I think that the zombies, they move quick and they have like a, a feral, you know, human intelligence to them still like as animated corpses. And, Instead of just being this like shuffling mass as they are in the Romero movies, and I'm not taking anything away from that because I think that there's some like amazing stuff that's done with the zombies um, in both Night of the Living Dead and um, Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. But the idea that you know there's there's a line, and you and I talked about this off air um, last weekend, where they're interrogating this kind of like bisected zombie woman in the morgue and they ask her you know like why do you eat brains and it's basically that 
Like it hurts so much to be dead. And the only thing that stops you from hurting is eating brains. And it's this really like, like fucked up, horrifying, like, yeah. like thought that, yes, you know, the death isn't some like eternal rest or like release that it's, it's like abject eternal pain. And the only way you can stop it is by like inflicting death on something else. Um, and it's a really bleak movie. I mean, I know that Night of the Living Dead has a really bleak ending in the sense of, um, uh, what's his name? Ben, uh, I can't remember that actor's last name. Um, getting shot and killed. Um, Dwayne. There's, there's no Ben. That I see. What's the name oh. of the main actor in Night of the Living Dead? Oh, 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 Night of the Living Dead. Um, shit. I can't remember. Sorry. They were both failures. Yes. You should have anticipated my thinking. <laughs> um... Dwayne, it's Dwayne Jones. Okay. What is this character's name? Just Ben. Yeah, Ben. Right. And see, so I remembered both both names. I just didn't remember the. Huh? I didn't put them together right. Right. Um. So that's a bleak ending. But at the end, you know the the hunters, the whatever, the posses are kind of like rounding up and killing zombies. And even though that goes into um, it's much more bleak in like Dawn of the Dead. The end of Return of the Living Dead is that they, they nuke an entire town. Yeah. In order to like end the zombie menace because they know, you know, how awful it is if it spreads. Um and the only reason that it exists is because of like government oversight where somebody shipped containers of zombies to the wrong place mm -hmm. and then the government completely lost track of them for whatever they say like years um and i think that that kind of like post-apocalyptic feeling to um the zombie genre as well as like the other sort of innovations that o'bannon created and that's not to say there weren't fast zombies before this um but i think this is definitely like the Like the 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 peak version of the fast malicious like thinking zombie. Um, yeah, the fact that they're given any intelligence at all in like in that scene with the like half woman, like which I agree with you is a just absolutely chilling and terrifying scene. Um, really changes the zombie uh, overall. And it changes the way that you think about them because they do have some semblance of human thought in them. Sure. Um, that you don't get in Romero. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, uh, I I never really thought of it like that before, but it has more, most zombie stuff has more in common with that than it does Night of the Living Dead anymore. You're correct. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I don't know what else you want to talk about. Um, <laughs> well, one of the things I know I wanted to talk about uh, with Kill Baby Kill was I know that you talked about all the influence of Italian directors and stuff like that. Um, one of the things that I was watching, and I, I do just, you know, think that this, those that listen to the podcast and know that like 1500s like supernatural um 
you know, like hammer-esque type horror is like not my thing. But I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Um, and I thought it was really well paced and I thought it was extraordinarily uh beautiful and well filmed. Uh, and I didn't even see a version that was updated. I know that I've seen Arrow put out a version of this movie that was restored and um online, and I saw like a trailer for the restoration, and that looks absolutely gorgeous. Um <clears throat> that restoration process. Yeah. But uh yeah, I see like a lot of those like, you know, things that you're talking about, especially Argento being influenced by it, like, you know, the coloring, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. But he does like so many things like in this, like that give it this kind of a, like a dreamlike hallucinatory like feel at times. Um, like. There's times where I wondered if David Lynch had seen this movie at some point. Hmm. Like the the stuff with the swing, do you remember what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, uh, like the, it felt like you take it a couple levels more, and it feels like something you could see in a Lynch movie to me. Um, and I'm not making a direct comparison at all. I'm just saying that it feels like it. Um, it feels like it's something that could have been seen or it's just like a continuation of a certain style of filmmaking. Like when you write, when you create that dream, those dreamlike worlds and stuff like that, um, that they're on the same wavelength or, you know, as Lynch would say, like, you know, like, you know, they're, they're, they're fishing in the same stream, you know? Um, And I'm, I'm sure that in it, cause Lynch would have been, pretty young when when Bobo's movies were coming out so I'm sure that he did probably see some of them yeah I'm not sure um but I mean like even like the way that um the the mother like looks and stuff like that like reminds me a lot of um Sarah Palmer at times Mm. that's interesting and I, I just see like a lot of like little things that um that feel to me uh that are very like Lynchian. But I think it's a really good story overall. I can see where some people might think it's a little slow, but um yeah. I think it's it's a really well told story and um unique and interesting, especially giving like that like milieu and time period. So definitely if this is the kind of stuff is this one of his better movies, do you think, like from mm. this time period? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, because got... if his other stuff is like this, I definitely want to watch more. You've got Black Sunday and Black Sabbath, both of which are worth watching. Um, to me, this this movie is very like much a companion to those two because they're both set in um um well, Black Sunday in particular, um, same time period kind of, and very similar in terms of appearance of like the actors. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes all over the place. So you've got. Blood and Black Lace, which is a few years before this, which is a really good giallo. Um, one of the first um, kind of like mass killer stalker giallos. Um, when we talked about, I mean, he's the father of the slasher genre, really, right. because he did, um, uh, what's it called? The Bay of Blood, um, right. Twitch of the Death Nerve or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Hatchet for the Honeymoon is another one that's like a good 
Um, and we we watched that, didn't we? Did we watch that movie? Yes, we did. For something, it was in um, the seventies horror list. Um, whatever yeah, year it came out. Uh, Danger Diabolique is a fun, um, actiony like spy movie. Um, he's got a couple of he did a sort of Exorcist ripoff called Lisa and the Devil. Um, and then a movie that never was finished. Um called rabid dogs which is a really great um almost like cinema verite like kidnapping movie mm-hmm. uh, that i really enjoy a lot um there was i guess like sort of finished i think by his son and then released in that um anchor bay collection that um that i have i mean even his movies that aren't like the greatest movie uh are still really good to watch and they have some interesting stuff in them mm-hmm. um he did a Hitchcockian movie called The Girl Who Knew Too Much. Mm. Um, did I ever have you watch that? It's black no. and white. It's set in Rome. It's it's a beautiful movie. Like some of the most like gorgeous like black and white cinematography, but a really good like um what's the word um, like noirish you know whodunit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was um super talented super influential yeah another thing i noticed that i thought might be influential on more of american stuff that i'm familiar with is his use of zooms in this movie at times yeah like they're they're very quick they're quick zooms in on things um like a bell rings and it like zooms in like you know like in the yeah. bell, like really quick um it reminds me a lot of what kubrick does in the shining um think about like those quick zooms that kubrick does like on people and things like um very much reminds me of of the same exact type of zoom like quick zoom like you know to accentuate and like startle um like and i wondered if that wasn't like an influence Uh, kubrick watched a whole lot more film i think than lynch did um Mm -hmm. and it wouldn't surprise me if he like picked up on something like that because I've never seen it anywhere else. Um, I Actually, think. I think the opposite, not the opposite, but I think another like influence, if you look at it, is um, I think you can see a lot of uh, Bava and John Carpenter's stuff, especially like his, mm. um, like in Halloween in particular, um, things behind windows, things in the background, like things moving out of focus into focus. Um, you know, I think that there's some influence there. Um, I know that Carpenter, I think, has cited Baba as an influence, but um, especially like before they really show you um, whatever the girl's name is, Marianne or Mary or whatever. Um, you know, she's like a silhouette in a window and then like hands on a window. And I like that a lot. Like I always like that gradually introducing the villain as opposed to just like sure. either never showing it to you or you know overuse of like jump scares or whatever yeah it it also led me to do research uh watching this movie on uh the haunted mansion at, at disney um and magic kingdom was the magic kingdom version of it um was built um like in 71 okay and there's like things like the room um the the mother's room which uh, god what a brilliant thing when like you see her walk and like sit down and stuff like that and 
the the wind is blowing like the curtains like in the room constantly so they're billowing and like you see the smoke coming from the fire and it's all cluttered it's uh, what what great set design yeah um in all of that but like there's elements that i'm like i see in it, and i know that like i did research like it's a couple different houses like in america apparently that are victorian like american victorian like era um that it was based on including one in baltimore which i didn't know but it's like it again like there's elements of this uh, especially the coloring like the blues and stuff like that that like kind of like are simulating moonlight i guess yeah um uh-huh. at times uh feels very haunted mansion but like not in any kind of like childish or cartoonish or cheesy way um more in the way that like it actually kind of feels like you know uh when you're there um so yeah, I mean there's a lot of really cool stuff that's going on like, you know, um in this movie. Like I love like, you know, seeing people's breath and stuff like and like uh like these dreamlike hallucinations that happen at times like that feel like um like I don't know. Like it's it's a really cool movie. It's really worth I think study actually. Like in terms if you if you like looking for filmmaking techniques um so yeah that's interesting that you brought up like how influential he was because and i knew that but it's like i that's kind of what i was thinking when i was watching is like whoa this is 66 and there's a lot of really cool things that's going on here um and it's also i mean i think again driven by that like the fact that they didn't have much money and it's just the whatever like the creative genius of a guy that just really understood how to how to make a good well, I mean, a good movie in general, but a good suspenseful horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Kill Baby Kill is really the culmination of kind of his um, gothic horror. Because everything mm-hmm. after this, I think, I don't think anything goes back. It's all modern, like Baron Blood, Lisa and the Devil, all that stuff takes place in, in modern settings. So um i think this is the i'm pretty sure this is his last movie that takes place like in that like gothic like traditional gothic horror setting yeah um the other the only other thing i wanted to kind of like talk about and bring up was about return of the living dead um which uh you can go back if you wanted a more traditional kind of like uh discussion or review of this that was episode uh you want to take a guess right what episode we return of the living then yeah 24 oh here yeah 37 um a little later than that but june of uh 2019 um is when we talked about that uh for the top five horror movies in 1985 i wasn't even 40 yet um when we talked about it um that's a lie no, that's absolutely. How old are you? I am forty-three. I, I would have just turned thirty-nine in April of that year. I don't believe you. <laughs> Do you need a birth certificate, Trump? I mean, um, I went back and listened to that, like parts of that episode, like actually more than I thought. Two, one thing, quick plug: go back and listen to episode thirty-seven of the podcast. Um. <clears throat> Because it's actually a damn like good insightful episode about all of those movies. That was um 
the stuff um return of the living dead uh fright night uh phenomena um and reanimator mm. um yeah that's some lineup it is and uh a lot of a lot of actually really good conversation in that so i listened to us like kind of talking about it one of the things that we just touched on but didn't talk about and the more i've watched this because i've watched it another time since this time um since that podcast is the tonal elements of this movie i think are extremely extremely interesting the more i watch it because it really does start off as a slapstick comedy in many ways Sure. Like an over the top slapstick, like, um, like literally like, you know, the idea that they're like, you know, the, the, the one zombie, like mannequin type thing, like where it's like they're pinned it to the ground and they chop its head off and it's disgusting yeah. and gross. And, you know, like the, you know, it's, 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 it's literally slapstick. Um, and how that movie changes slowly like with the characters as they recognize their predicament and you start to recognize their predicament and it ends up in a very serious place by the end um, where you're actually horrified for these characters, you feel for these characters and that's a really hard thing to accomplish. I can't really think of many things that start off that like as a comedy like that, like a pure comedy and end up in a place of like real kind of dread and terror can you yeah. think of anything that like really does that that well like or like that like that severe in terms of starting with comedy hmm. no because most most horror comedy in particular like tries to tries to always maintain like that lighter tone that like kind of undercuts the um seriousness of what's happening like a really good juxtaposition of this movie is something like Shaun of the dead Right. Um, which is another like really effective horror comedy, but it never loses the lighthearted nature. I mean, even like when they're talking about like, you know, the death of whatever the entire city that they're in, there still is like an element of comedy to sure. it. Sure. Sure. But um I mean I think that's the I don't know. Oh, sorry. Scintillating conversation. Um I think that's kind of like the the subtle like art of 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 O'Bannon just kind of like cutting your legs out from under you by making you think that that's what you're watching. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, because there's a, a large amount of like tropes in this movie that are kind of like still like omnipresent in horror, like the random nudity for no reason. Um, <laughs> but it's. It's interesting commentary. Like I, I, I don't, I don't know. I'd have to think about it a little more. I, I can't think of anything else that does it quite as effective as Return of the Living did. Night of the Creeps, maybe a little bit, because there's definitely some funny stuff at the beginning of that movie. But sure, um, that stays campy throughout the entire thing. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just can't think of anything that like yeah tries tries to pull this off, and actually, I think pulls it off. Um, because by the end, it's like when the the freeze frames, like you know, like the the guy, like the boyfriend, like busting through into the attic, like before yeah. the bomb drops and stuff like that. Like that's like 
super uncomfortable. It's super uncomfortable. And it's like you're almost relieved at that moment a little bit because at least like it's they clean. Were, right. It's like a clean death kind of like. Yeah, they were a messy spared, one. spared the horror of like yes. him. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it's a lot of complex emotions in a lot of ways um, that's going on in this movie. And um, part of that comes down to, I think, really good character, really good, subtle character development. And, um, you know, for a lot of B actors, kind of like overall, like, you know, some some really good performances, too, um, yeah. that allow you to connect to those characters. So, yeah, I mean, I I've, I respect this movie. Um a lot more each time I watch it, honestly. Um, I think I wrote it off when I was young because of like probably how I was exposed to it in some ways and like not really, you know, um, giving it much thought. But um, the more I've watched it now, yeah, the more I kind of uh, see its true value, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I I really love. Yeah, I know you've always loved this movie. I mean, like it was your number one movie of 1985. I was like shocked that like Reanimator like wasn't one. Or, like when I was yeah, like listening back I'm, to it, I'm not as high on Reanimator. I think as, as some other people. Hmm. I like Reanimator, and I think there's I, I ridiculous to say since we're talking about this movie, but mm. I I think Reanimator is a little too much relying on shock value mm. over. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I yeah. maybe I just love zombie movies more. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Return of the Living Dead is like top twenty horror film of all time for me. Hmm. So. Yeah, I. I mean, even like uh, whatever, like four years ago, I was sitting there saying it was just a really f like extraordinarily fun movie that like you know reminds me of like the kind of things I would see on a Saturday afternoon, which isn't untrue. But even then, I don't think I appreciate even four years ago. I don't think I appreciate it as much as I've come to appreciate it in terms of the uh, high wire act kind of that it's pulling off. It's like a high degree of difficulty type thing um, of what's actually being done here. Um, and the fact that it works is uh, pretty amazing. So yeah. Um. Anything, yeah, anything else you wanted to say about these movies? No. No. Um. Okay. I mean, I Kill Baby Kill is free on YouTube, so I think that if you've never seen it, it's definitely worth actually. It, uh, yeah, it's YouTube and uh, also Prime. If anybody's looking for it, um, I think it looks like maybe. Is that Prime or AMC? I think it's just no, Prime it's, now. It's Freebie, I think. Freebie. I think that I think that's okay. why I watched it on YouTube instead because right. I wanted to watch it without commercials. Right. Gotcha. So, um, and then Return of the Living Dead was on Prime, um, recently and uh, switched over and is no longer on Prime now. That's October and is now on Pluto TV. Unfortunately, it's the only free place. But... Oh well, don't watch that. <laughs> You'll be inundated with uh, way too many commercials, probably on Pluto TV. Yeah, Pluto you know. is Pluto is the worst. It is. It really is. It's unfortunate. What was that movie with Michael Caine that it like like almost like ruined for us? Um. I don't remember. There was something where from it was the Michael Caine movie from the two thousands. Um, it was an adaptation of something. Was it the Quiet American? Yes. Quiet oh American. yeah, I yep. I never finished watching it because every right. time I would start it, like it would yes take yeah. me to a commercial and then take me back to the very beginning. Yeah, 
of the fucking um yeah if i see it something's on pluto tv i just run it from you know now (laughs) i I won't i won't subject myself to it um oh whatever we won't be getting paid from pluto tv anytime soon but fuck fuck pluto tv yes i agree is where it's at yes agree i hype i hype to be to be to people all the time man you've been hyping Tubi since like 2018 yeah, like I seriously, I'm not a, I don't know why I'm not a two B spokesperson. I know, or at least like a gold member or something like that. Like, is that a thing? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I should be. Yeah, like con, con curator, content curator. For oh something. man, that'd be an amazing job. Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? Um, <clears throat> I can dream. All right, so we will be um, back next week and uh, with more Hodgepodge Halloween. And if you wanted to. Go ahead and maybe start watching uh, some of these movies along with us before we talk about them. Uh, we will be talking next week about a movie from 1977, Centerfold Girls, which is currently mm. on Tubi. Um, and then also um, a Tomei. Japanese horror movie. Tomi or Tomei? Tomei. Or Tomei. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, it is uh, not really available anywhere, but if you search for it, like something like, you know, uh, T-O-M-I-E, like full movie on YouTube, you'll be able to find a copy of it um, with subtitles. So T-O-M-I-E English sub gives you the yeah. full movie and like the first like 10 results. Yeah. Yeah. So do a little digging on YouTube. You'll be able to find it. Um, so, yeah, we'll be back w- next week with episode 194. Have a great week. Deuces.